Hello and welcome once again to episode 84 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, app technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So lately I've been thinking a lot about the lack of precise input on iOS and most recently this came up when I was trying to scan documents. So if you don't know, in the Notes app, you can go ahead and tap on the little image icon and then you can say scan documents. And then you just hover your phone above the page mm-hmm. and it will automatically take a picture. You go to the next page. You just don't do anything. It just takes pictures, um, which is super convenient. Um, however, sometimes it messes up with like the crop and it gets it hilariously bad where it's just like a lasagna, like a trapezoid of some sort. And then your page is all like skinny at the bottom because it got too much table or whatever. Um, and you need to go and adjust those corners Mm. and that can be a maddening experience if you don't know exactly like what is expected of you like if you don't know you can tap next to a a point not on the point but next to a point and still drag it um and that gives you a lot like better feedback because if you're on the point your finger is like covering it um right and uh and separately uh when i was setting up our circle view cameras you can set up activity zones um, because I was getting mad at the like blinds, uh, kind of rolling with the wind, triggering alerts three times uh, a minute. Um, that was like driving me crazy. So uh, I set up an activity zone, and that one does not work this way. <laughs> so you cannot adjust the points uh, precisely in any way. You just have a tiny little phone screen and tiny little giant yeah. finger to kind of move that around, and that drove me absolutely insane. So uh, hence the topic for this week: <laughs> um, how. How we as developers can give a better experience uh, towards all of that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess let's start with uh, adjusting the position of points, which I think is a super common thing that you see all over iOS apps. Um, mm-hmm. And no app really does this well, right? No, and I mean, you've got things even built in like a slider, right? That depending on kind of how precise you want things to be in the slider you know if you're if you're going through um you know decimal points and you just need something to be super fine you could experience it not just in kind of the these more specific cases of like these crop points which not every app is going to have but it sort of it seems more like a, a systematic problem with just like you say just any kind of precise user input or interaction with these ui elements so i mean the problem here is, of course, uh, you've got no uh, mouse, no pointer. Uh, you can't use a trackpad, which I was just thinking about yesterday. I've got my phone right um, below my monitor, um, just on a little charging stand. It would be so cool to just drag Slack down. Universal control. <laughs> yes, universal <laughs> control, and just do that so it's not on my screen. Um, I wish they would do it, man. Uh, I get that it's a tiny little screen but i think it'd be fernando would be proud (laughs) fernando yes right up fernando's alley um but you've got things like uh the magnifying view that has been around for quite a while on ios for like selecting text right um Mm -hmm. your finger is probably two times the height of whatever text you're trying to select but then it pulls up the magnifying view in some form it's changed a little bit over the versions of ios uh but then it kind of puts the text above or below wherever it needs to in order to show uh, <laughs> what you're actually selecting. So there are definitely mm-hmm. workarounds, but um, 
they may not come for free, I suppose. Yeah, in fact, unless you're doing text entry in a text field or text yeah. view, you're not going to get any of this. Uh, yeah. So things that you need to like worry about. Um, as like, I would suggest anyone like if you're listening and not driving a car and can pull out your phone uh, safely, like do this exercise with us. Like pull out notes, type a bunch of text, uh, and just try selecting around it. So if you tap and hold on the insertion pointer, you get that little magnifying glass above you. Um, and it's offset from your finger, crucially. It's not under your finger. It's mm-hmm. offset from your finger because otherwise you yes. can't see it. Uh, <clears throat> scanning app. Um, so uh, that that is something that you need to like move out of the way. So that way you can actually see it because uh, our hands are connected from the bottom usually. So you, above is a great place to put it. I think if you're at the top of the screen, it might try to put it at the bottom um, under like very rare circumstances. But above is always what you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. and now, if you sw- scroll, not scroll, if you move your finger upwards, you'll notice that the magnifying view kind of goes with you. But if you yeah. go down, something very interesting is going to happen. It's going to detach from your finger slightly. Um, and you're going to be able to see the insertion pointer without the magnifying view uh, anymore. Um, and that is because it is allowing you to detach your finger from the insertion pointer by yourself and once you do that, uh, once you get a sufficient point away from that, it acts as a proxy. So you're no longer manipulating the thing under your finger. You're manipulating a proxy with your finger acting kind of like a trackpad. Um, and that is a key detail that I think a lot of these apps miss um, because that allows you to like get it out of your way, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, can, you can go ahead and use your finger uh, just like a mouse would. Your mouse is not on your screen. You're not like using it to obstruct whatever you're working with, you're moving the mouse pointer as a proxy. Um, and this is very, very important. Um, and it's it's crucial to pull off well, um, because if unless you do that, like you're always going to have something covering something else. Yeah. I mean, this all just, it almost goes back to last week where we were talking about accessibility. It's like, there's <laughs> there's a lot that you can do to just make your app more accessible to people. Um in, in many ways, and this is one of like, uh, if due to whatever limitation, whether it's the screen size or, or not, whether it's the, you know, size uh, of people's fingers, <laughs> exactly. Some people have just absolute sausage fingers and that's okay. Uh, but they need that magnifying glass or whatever it is, uh, in order to be able to use whatever they're trying to use on their, on the app or their phone. Well, um, mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it's important to think about these things and make your app usable and accessible for everyone um, or anyone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And and as you mentioned, like large fingers can have an impact on this a lot. Um, we don't think of this very much, but when your finger touches the screen, it kind of rolls. Um, and mm-hmm. as it rolls, the average point of, of like contact changes. Um, so... Uh, If you're trying to manipulate something very carefully, you'll be like very slowly moving, you'll get it perfect, and then you'll lift your finger. By lifting your finger, you're unrolling it, Um, and by unrolling it, you're moving the point, and your app is detecting that. It's like, hey, the point's moving. Um, So then you move it, and it's off, and then you drive the user mad, and uh, that's another key piece that the text views do right, and you'll notice it's very hard to roll your finger in a way that's going to change the selection once you precisely like position it. Um, and as a developer, that's hard to do. Like you basically have to detect no movement um, and use that as like an anchor point. 
And if the user lifts their finger and there was movement, you throw that away. You basically undo that movement. Right. Um, so you still have like direct manipulation, but you kind of throw away data purposefully if you notice that the user is very slow and then they went fast because that fast movement was accidental. So, and then you've got things like, um, you know, using the keyboard, or I guess now it's just the uh, the space bar, as far as I know, uh, mm-hmm. to change like the the insertion point, or basically the cursor for like text, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think before when you had a three D touch phone, you could kind of hard press on on any part of the keyboard, and it would basically it so nice. turn. It was so I dude, I miss three D touch, man. I I mm-hmm. was one thing where I was like, it's okay. And then it went away, and I was like, ooh, I actually do use this for a fair amount of things. So <laughs> All the time. Um, yeah. That said, I got very used to it fairly quickly that the keyboard is like new, like special uh-huh. area for that. I thought it would take me years to un- unlearn mm-hmm. years of like 3D pressing on the keyboard. Yeah. But now you just hold on, on the space bar, and it does the same thing. It turns the whole keyboard uh, area, kind of that um, thing that pops up uh, into a trackpad, just blanks out all the keys and you can move the cursor around which is great because before i mean you've got the option of tapping on uh, a place in the text field and kind of dragging it around but sometimes that starts selecting text and it can be a little bit of a pain so uh having mm-hmm. the um being able to kind of use the uh, the keyboard as a trackpad or a mouse is nice um so you've I guess what I'm trying to say is you've got that, you've got the uh, just tapping to insert. There are a couple different ways, depending on who you are. Maybe, I mean, I I remember talking to my brother um, who just got a new phone like last year or something. It was, I think he got like the iPhone 12 and the phone that he had before that was like an iPhone 10 or something and it had 3D touch. And so he was devastated. And then I, I did that in front of him on the new phone. He's like, how did you do that? I didn't know you could do that anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. so it's nice that there are multiple ways that you can mm-hmm. do the same thing, essentially, because uh, the user may not even know about some of these things. Uh, yeah. You know, so. And and you can do like some crazy things. If you didn't know, you can tap elsewhere on the keyboard while you're dragging this, uh, dragging around like a trackpad, and that will start selecting text. It'll like anchor you wherever you are and then mark that as a selection point. Um and this goes further like on the mac if you double click a word you or if you double click uh your mouse you select a word if you triple mm-hmm. click your mouse you select a paragraph same yep. on ios like all of these uh interactions kind of carried over um and that's important it's important to use the mac as like a good baseline if an interaction doesn't exist on ios people will oftentimes try it by accident and it will mm-hmm. if it works you've won them over like instantly because yes. they'll notice it's broken everywhere else except in your app. Um, and it's not something that your app had to teach them. It's just something they already knew from a different platform. Um, so if there is like a favorite interaction you have in your Mac apps, like carry it forward to your iOS app and you'll be pleasantly surprised, even if you never tell anyone about it, by who accidentally discovers it. Um, because like they're not necessarily going to be trying and well, let's see if this works. They're just going to do it out of muscle memory. Yeah. Um, or not really muscle memory because it's like different muscles involved, but, um, like just they're used to that interaction on a Mac. Yeah, exactly. And uh, one more thing that I want to, I want to bring up for text editing, um, is that when you are typing on the keyboard, 
Um, something that the iPhone did very early on, which no physical keyboard could ever do, was it would resize the tap areas of the keys um, as you're typing based mm-hmm. on what it thought you would type. Just so that way yeah. you, the feedback you get, it looks like relatively like in line with what you're going for. Um, so even if it needed to autocorrect afterwards to say like, oh, you meant this letter, not that one, um, it can go ahead and... Uh, show you the feedback of the key that you're typing um, based on like wh- which one you actually meant to type. Like for instance, uh, if you tapped on the key R but you meant to tap on the E, the E would highlight, even though your finger is on the R uh, very clearly. And that's because E is like a super common letter. Uh, so therefore, <laughs> you have a higher chance of wanting to type an E rather than an R. But if you double tap the R, if you said RR, that would become an ER because an ER is a super common ending in English, for instance. Um, so there's a lot of smarts that go into the little things like this that you probably would never think about. Um, and it's, it's good to like stop and think about all the little interactions to see how would someone implement this. And you might discover through that process alone how they actually did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting that they do do the um, all of that correction, and sometimes it can be annoying. I, I, but it's, I think like I notice the times when it's annoying, but I don't notice the times mm-hmm. when it's great, and it exactly fixes right. For me. <laughs> so kind of the, a little bit of a bias there. Um, mm-hmm. But then you've got That's also a, that... like, oh, go for it. Oh, I was gonna say the the machine learning autocorrect is garbage. Like I hate that. Uh, yes. I want the, the dumb autocorrect back, the one that assumes that you can't spell um, and just like we'll fix those <laughs> rather than change yeah. words to like italic, crazy math font. Uh, I don't oh, want that. yeah. Um, I've gotten that several times. I've even posted it to Twitter. It's ridiculous. I don't I don't ever want that. Uh, so please yeah. get rid of that. Bring it back to sanity. Like the English language is not changing that fast. Uh, OK, done with rant. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Okay. Um, I just wanted to say like now that you, okay. So like going back to my example of sliders, I have this fresh in my mind and I'll bring up why Um, you've got um, like adjustments, you know, that you could do kind of adjacent to, but not by using the slider. So as an example uh, in, in LumaFusion uh, you've got, you know, a bunch of adjustments for size for uh, you've got, you know, filters that you can change all kinds of, of things. And they're all using sliders for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. And so what we had were um, little nudge arrows on each side where you could say, I'm going to get this as close as I can with the with sliding because that's fast. Uh, mm-hmm. And then if you need to nudge it over like 0.1 or whatever, you can, you can nudge it over and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way to kind of adjust after you do most of the work, I suppose. Um, and then what we noticed was that people wanted even more fine grain control. And so that was like the the biggest, the first sort of semi big feature that I ended up working on when I, um, after I started there was this keypad that would let you just like type in numeric values exactly as you wanted. Um, and you could get it literally to, you know, whatever decimal point that you wanted, uh, that it supports, um, and so, you know, you know, if you're like, oh, I need it to be in 34.46 or whatever, you don't have to sit there and go with the slider and then nudge. You just 34.46 and it's done. Um, so you you can kind of make these like adjacent uh, 
adjustments to these to these interactions that are not necessarily precise and you can't necessarily make them precise although i just thought it would be kind of cool to make a slider that once you sort of like decelerate enough it pulls up sort of again like a, a magnifying glass type of thing where then you could have finer grain control like kind of like the um the scrubbing in um like on a video you kind of got mm-hmm. levels of scrubbing something like that would be cool yeah so what, what spencer's describing is as as you're scrubbing like if your finger is on the timeline it will just scrub um, if you move your finger up, now mm-hmm. you're like scrubbing within a smaller region of the timeline. Like the whole width of the screen is only going to move your your um, your playhead a tiny little bit. And the further yeah. up you go, the less and less it moves. Um, now this is a great way, great for like video or any any timeline that like is sufficiently large, but you don't need like specific accuracy getting a specific number because that is maddening. Um, if you want to do something like that for a slider that's going to output a value that you can see, always round to some decimal point. People like round numbers, like, tremendously. So <laughs> yeah. if you can pick, like, uh, uh, increments, like, if you go only a tiny bit down, now you're, you're in fourths of an increment. You know, 0. 0.25, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.75, uh, all the way. If you go down further from that, then you're in tenths. Uh, if you go further than that, then you're in twentieths, and so on and so forth. But you have these discrete, like steps that is going to make your users tremendously more happy because they want round numbers at the end of the day they don't really care that it's 0.2573 right um they're not looking at the output of their slider they're looking at the number that the slider is giving them and they're like this one's nice and round um and that's (laughs) gonna make them like legitimately that's gonna make them happier than getting Mm -hmm. the text exactly where they want it now, sometimes from there, they're going to want to nudge or advance, uh, and that's where those uh, arrow keys are useful. And the crucial thing about those arrow keys, which I've seen tons of people mess up, they need to be more precise than your finger movement, right? If you can mm-hmm, get that level of precision with your finger, and then the arrow like moves it wildly out, and you're like, what the hell? Like I was more precise with my finger. Like <laughs> yeah. The arrow needs to be more precise than your finger. Um, and... Uh, maybe you can you can adjust that. Maybe before you touch the slider, it's like in large increments, and then once you touch the slider, then it's in small increments. Maybe you show that by making the arrows a little bit smaller, like as an indication that that's going to happen. There are all sorts of affordances that you can mm-hmm. invent uh, to get that working well. Um, for the crop points that I brought up earlier, maybe the last crop point that you tap, then you have little arrows all around it, and you can just tap those to nudge it mm. ever so slightly with the magnifying glass, so you can actually see um like get it right where you want it and satisfy that ocd so um there are lots of ways that you can do this maybe swipes like i'm just brainstorming here at this point uh but maybe if you swipe on uh one of these controls that would increment it just by a notch without having arrow keys um so it's not necessarily a full-on drag you would need to detect the difference between a swipe and a drag um oftentimes you want to do that anyways like you don't want to necessarily just kick off into a drag just by touching it by accident it's like oh i'm getting some lint off my screen and then you suddenly moved your carefully positioned slider like that's something that you're going to do after carefully positioning a slider you're going to notice a piece of hair or something you're going to try to get rid of it and you're going to move your slider <laughs> yeah. like that is something you that everyone is going to run into because like they want to get rid of the hair that's on the screen but no one is going to be happy with at the end of the day but if you just put a little delay before detecting a drag that's done and satisfied right yeah 
yeah, definitely a lot of, I, I don't even want to really call them workarounds because I mean, I guess it's a workaround to the there built are controls right? that we, yeah, yeah. Just these, these ways of, um, enhancing or augmenting what is available to you for sure. It reminds me of, of video games specifically, like the more amount of affordances that video games add to make them fun and not grueling. Um, like specifically select, um, I'm going to need to find the thread and I might not find it because Twitter, Twitter search is horrible. Um, but uh, someone went over all the affordances that select, uh, Celeste will do. Um, so this mm. is a platforming game that's tremendously difficult, but it's not difficult because the game is making it just like pain in the ass difficult. Uh, it's difficult because it's challenging and it's always uh, surmountable. Like you just need the practice. Um, and you'll notice if you jump and you slightly miss a ledge, it's going to put you on that ledge. It's going to have yeah. code specially there to get you there. If you jump and do a wall jump and you're not touching the wall, it's going to allow you to do the wall jump uh, just because it knows that it's more fun to be able to pull off the wall jump and still fail um, than it is to not be able to operate the the controls at all, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Make it. I mean, it, it's it's almost making it accessible. It's just making it like the tolerance is like human. Like you're you're able to deal with it as a human, and you know if you, if it's pixel perfect, that may. Uh, be a little bit more annoying for sure mm -hmm. um speaking of pixel perfect you've got things like uh large tap areas where like if you've got a, a small button uh it's hard to tap again people have different size fingers and uh, fingers get pressed down and then that even increases the size uh, on the screen even more so uh just going back to like the keyboard example right um the especially i don't know if you're on like an iphone mini and you have large fingers that would be really hard it's not like you are you know you put your finger down you may be touching two keys but really it knows you want one key or you want one button in in whatever situation so like it's generally suggesting and dimitri has in the notes in here uh like the original iphone suggested 46 points for a button even if that made you know the button didn't look like it um, the sort of the, uh, I guess, the bounds of area. the touch area, the tap area, mm -hmm. uh, would be a lot larger than the button itself, just to make it easy. Uh, again, we're not dealing with a, a mouse or a trackpad where you can get very, very precise movements very easily because you have a lot more control there. You're kind of, you know, mashing your finger on the phone. You got to make it easy, uh, kind of equi an equivalent level of ease for the kind of touch device that you have, which is your finger or your nose. If you're Dimitri trying to interact with Operate it watch. on a watch. <laughs> yeah. Depending. Um, and that those 46 points, those were for the original iPhones uh, density and therefore the iPhone fours retina density. Uh, that does not apply anymore to things like the iPhone mini or um, the iPhone maxes, I believe also have a different density. So recalculate it do the division to see like how, large that surface area is um and know that it matters more uh vertically than it does horizontally like horizontally we're actually quite precise um because we use like a nubbin of our finger rather than the whole the whole thing uh but vertically there's actually a lot of tricks that are going on and you can see this if you like wake up your phone and put it on a table and then 
turn it upside down and try to tap things, you'll notice it's impossible to tap anything because you need to tap mm. underneath the thing for it to register because the, um, the device will automatically adjust your touch point because it knows that you're going to be off. Um, so it, auto- it has a built-in adjustment uh, therefore, and I believe, uh, yeah, you need to attach underneath the the physical place where it is visually, um, because your finger is going to be higher always. Um, cool. And if you turn your that. phone, like, uh, if you turn your phone around, so you're looking at it upside down, um, but it's on a table, so it doesn't flip the UI, you'll notice this immediately how everything is like impossible to tap. But if you adjust like your position, it'll be a lot easier. Um, so that's that's why the 46 points really matters vertically, um, because that's where you need the most leeway. And as Spencer said, like a great way to get away around, like not visually making your buttons ginormous, but having them like visually nice looking and then having the touch areas be very uh, have a ton of affordance there um, is to use point inside. So if you override point inside in your control, you can give it a much larger tap area than its bounds. Um, then it's drawing bounds. Um, this means that layout is tremendously easy because you just lay out your control like normally. Um, but then uh, when it comes time to the user interacting with it, the super view is going to ask, hey, does this point land inside of uh, mm-hmm. your bounds? And the, your view is going to be like, yep, I'm, I'm really big. <laughs> um, so that's going to be a lot easier. And similarly, when you're like interacting with a button, you can press on it and then say, eh, never mind, and drag your way, finger away and unselect it. That area should yeah. be even larger. Um, so that one should be really large. So that way uh, the user just like bumping on a bus is not going to unselect the button um, while they're like trying to interact with it. Uh, so uh, make that area as large as it needs to use like UI button as a good like starting point because that takes care of it for you, obviously. Um, and uh, that should give you um, that should give you a decent amount of control there. Nice. Yeah, I that's really interesting about the um like flipping your phone or your iPad up upside down like that or yeah, leaving it in the same orientation and then trying to use it upside down. Uh mm-hmm. I didn't know about that. I I guess it makes sense. I don't know. Now I have to try it. I'm I'm really curious and interested to uh, mess around with that a little bit. Yeah, I think if you have like mail open it's easy because you have like district distinct rows and if you try to like go right in between two rows it might not like go exactly where you think it would go, mm-hmm. um, so that that's that's something that you can try. It's been adjusted over the years, of course, as Apple has like fine grained nailed down. Um, and maybe they're looking at you through the Face ID camera now. They know your fingers coming in from above. They're like, "Let's." Oh no. It. Uh, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so I guess one last thing in this category uh, that you should keep in mind is if you have a bunch of controls that are all like operating together, um, like a segmented control where you have a bunch of buttons, Mm. let the user start tapping on one of them, but then move to the next one um, and allow them to select that. So they all kind of operate with the same gesture in mind. um, And that's difficult to do. Like You need to plan ahead for something like that have it all be coordinated properly. Um, but it usually allows the user to get, um, adjust their movement, like once they've started the event and their finger stops rolling um, and get exactly what they want or change their mind. And it gives them a lot of flexibility. So, you know, on iPad, for example, uh, you, well, now 
uh, we do have curses, which is super great. I mean, it, it was kind of interesting, the progression of the like allowing cursors on an iPad, where at first it was an accessibility feature. And then I think it was like the next full version of, of iOS. They were like, yeah, okay, <laughs> we'll just allow this. And now they've got, you know, entire uh, hardware keyboards that have a trackpad and everything. Uh, and I think, at least for me, that was something that made me use my iPad a ton more because of that uh, precise interaction. Just like uh, I, you know, I before then I had just like the normal fol keyboard folio, which was great, but I wasn't typing things all the time. But as soon as it allows you to not have to, uh, like we were talking about with with Windows tablet or Windows computers, where you're, you know, you have to physically touch things when it's kind of in that orientation is not a great experience but now we've got you know an actual trackpad it, it's in a more natural kind of state uh it of course allowed for a lot more kind of precise uh interactions with ui and now we do have just kind of this single point where it's a lot smaller than um your finger of course so um, something that's cool is you can have different cursors and I know that we're working on that right now in, in LumaFusion or at least we were I can't quite remember but um, it doesn't just have to be the circle but you can actually have it uh, selects like focus points so you can kind of it'll it's a great way to like let your user know what are you selecting right instead of it just mm -hmm. kind of being this cursor it'll kind of expand and like uh, take on the shape and kind of stick a little bit to a button or whatever. And so while it's precise, uh, I don't know for if we're just talking about the, um, that physical hardware uh, trackpad, it's fairly small. You don't have a ton of room to kind of, you know, move around and stuff. It's not a giant iPad track or uh, Mac trackpad. So I think like that's one uh, example of, it kind of allowing you it, it's like this happy medium in between like a normal mac cursor interaction where it's just what you see is what you get and it kind of helps you along into the different ui elements of of whatever app you're working in to know what you're actually selecting or interacting with mm -hmm. i mean not to mention it can change its shape too like when you're yeah. working with text it will change to an insertion pointer but that insertion mm -hmm. pointer is really cool because it will jump to the lines that you can actually edit. So it has like a combination of both of those where you never want to select text in between lines. Like that's an yeah. impossibility. <laughs> but you can automatically have it jump to lines so that way you know, hey, I'm in this line. Uh, I don't need to worry about the vertical movement. I just need to worry about the horizontal movement. I want to change lines. Just move it down and it will jump to the other lines. And you feel really precise because now you feel like, yo, you're spot on, right? Because um, you are, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, because you are. It doesn't quite do that in between characters as well. Like, I think that would be a little too much. Um, but they they likely played around with it and saw, like, how it felt because it's an obvious next step to that. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're working in, like, a productivity app, say, my cropping example, um, you can have it automatically jump to those corners. But then once you're interacting in that corner, you're clicking and dragging, that can be super precise, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, in fact, you can potentially, like... On iPad, you can't really do this, um, so this is like a, a a false hope that I'm giving. But potentially in the future, what you could do is once you click and drag, now you don't have the same amount of uh, movement that you would have otherwise yeah. had to move across the screen. 
you have more precision in that point um, to kind of get it exactly where you need to. Um, and you can't do this on iPad, but you can do this on the Mac because you can manipulate the mouse directly. Um, and lots of games do this, for instance, just to allow you to move with your mouse. Like the mouse is constantly repositioned to the center of the screen um, in a kind of gimmicky way if you turned it on. But it's hidden, so you don't see that. Um, so it allows you to like move around and look with your mouse. Um, that's how that actually works. Yeah. And then you've, I mean, <clears throat> on an iPad, you also have, you can have a physical keyboard. So you mm -hmm. could, uh, you know, have it select your crop point in some way and, and know that that's selected and then just use the arrow keys to, you know, pixel by pixel or by 10 points or whatever Who knew you there do. are special buttons just for that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's crazy. But, mm -hmm. I mean, Dimitri's example of, like, having it pull up arrows around the um, the the corner of the crop point would be really cool. Um, but on an iPad, you don't even need that. You just need to pick up the, the key uh, the key press and, you know, your golden. Just have that translate to whatever amount of movement you want. That'd be pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you use uh, modifiers to... You hold the shift key and it moves it over 10 points. If it's not, it, it moves it over one point. Yeah, I mean... These are mm -hmm. all of these pretty standard things that, you know, people would be used to if they're if they know, you know, text selection to move instead of one character, they move a word or whatever it is um, that could be easily translatable into sort of these custom interactions with these um, custom UIs or, or controls that you would be dealing with. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the web inspector has the best implementation of this when you click on text or a number specifically like 10 points uh, in a margin. Um, you can use your arrow keys up and down. Shift will go by 10. Option will go by 0.1. Um, and I forget what shift option does, but that also has like a specific um, interaction. So definitely go play around with different examples of this. There are some better than others. Some only use shift. Um, some also use option. Uh, some use option for different things. So see what feels the best for your like specific need. Um, because sure. obviously like the scanning app is not going to need uh, that necessarily level of precision, but it might need shift and option uh, to get like a macro or a micro uh, adjustment um, mm -hmm. to kind of get it exactly where you want it to be. Because usually you're only using the arrow keys for the final like piece, unless you're always on the keyboard, you're going to use the arrow <laughs> keys to move a giant amount of space, um, which is where like shift comes in uh, handy. Um, but generally, like that's not necessarily the case for like a special area in your app where you just need it. For some minute adjustments, you can assume that the arrow keys are going to be for minute adjustments. They don't mm -hmm. need to translate to pixels. They just need to translate to something that makes sense for what the user is doing. So uh, I have two, two smaller points uh, to bring up. One is sometimes you have a bunch of points uh, that are all in the same area. So uh, in an app I'm working on, we had a bunch of annotations that you can kind of attach to like an image. And those annotations might all be in the same place. Uh, so something you can do very easily um, is when you tap on uh, one of those, one of them pops up, but you want to tap on the one that's right next to it, right? Well, we sausage fingers once again. Just tap in the same area and intelligently pick the next one that's under it. Um, and you can do this with hit test um, and just keep track of which one's selected and go for the next one. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's a really obvious way of doing that. Um, you can rearrange the subviews. You can move the one that you just tapped to the bottom of the list. Um, that's another way of doing that. Um, that's another easy way of allowing the user precise like uh, interaction with something that's going to inherently be imprecise. Like even with a mouse, that's very hard. 
And because a mouse is precise, no one thinks about it. But because fingers are super imprecise, like that's an easy thing, an easy win that you can get. Um, similarly, uh, with drag and drop, that's like another set of interactions that you really need to think more about than you would otherwise think uh, to do. Um, for instance, uh, when you are in a scroll view, your main interaction is going to be scrolling. Uh, so if you want to drag and drop, you need to like press and pause there for a little bit for it to like enable. Um, and it's great to give your user some interaction or visibility into when the gesture has kind of activated. Um, yeah. And usually that can be shown by showing any movement at all. So if you press and hold and uh, there's no movement yet, you're still scrolling. But as soon as the movement starts, you should be able to drag and drop. You shouldn't have to wait for the zoom to like happen all the way before that drag and drop is ready because users will want to do that as fast as possible and they recognize that they can either scroll or drag and drop. So uh, allow them to uh, to know like exactly when it's going to happen. Alternatively, give them an alternate tap area that's very small but always going to invoke it right away, mm, right? Okay. So you have that opposite effect. Instead of a large tap area where you need to tap and hold, you have a small tap area where you never need to tap and hold, but it's always going to like drag and drop immediately. Um, and I think table views use that for reordering cells. Um, I believe that one has like a very uh, a very precise amount of of movement. Or you can tap and hold, and you get the the less precise. Like you can be outside of those bounds. Um, so combining those is often very useful. Uh, similarly, when you're like getting towards the bottom of the screen, you want auto scroll to start, and then things start moving because as you move your thing, things reshuffle around it. Um, you want to not be too neurotic about that. Like it's very easy to uh, make that happen super fast, and then the user like can't ever reposition something because it's always going to go by three items or more, um, and that is going to also be very hard for them. So. Uh, something you can do is allow regular scrolling with another finger. We have lots mm -hmm. of them at our disposal. Um, so even though auto-scrolling is happening, you can say, auto-scrolling, you're too slow. Let me just scroll with my other finger. That allows auto-scrolling to be very precise. Like, you're not going to lose your point uh, in the process, but you still have the ability to quickly navigate around the scroll view. Yeah, totally. Going back to, well, yeah, I mean, with table views, it's, it's interesting to see... Again, now we've got something like this where you've got you can scroll through things individually. Uh, but like going back, you can tell that there. Let's see, how would I say this? Apple thought about this. I mean, I I just think of like the music app, or I guess it would have been the iPod app back in the day. Um, but you have the um, I, man. I for, I always forget what it's called. I've used it like one time myself. But the uh, the little strip of it's like the alphabet strip on the right that you can scroll through the table view quickly to get to a certain, you know, a starting character or whatever. Like these interactions, mm -hmm. you can tell that they thought about it and they knew that it would be an issue. But again, going back to uh, having multiple ways of solving the problem, depending on your use case um, can, can be really nice. So um, context still has yeah. that. So it's called the index yeah. list. It's a built in, like the, oh. the collection, mm -hmm. the, the table view will allow you to just, enable i think it moved to scroll view i'm not sure um but yeah it's called the index list um and i was always curious like this was made for small phones like what happens when you have like japanese characters and there's a lot more of those than there are english letters 
Um, and it actually just shows like, oh, here's A, dot, dot, dot. Now we're at K, dot, dot, dot. Now we're at S, dot, dot, dot. Um, and it has a very, uh, an alternative appearance um, to display that. Something I really liked about iPhoto on the Mac is when you uh, started scrolling, it would show you a little view of like exactly which month you were in or which event you were looking at while you're rapidly scrolling. Um, and that allows you to like, again, very precisely know where you're going to land. Uh, right. Um, and I think calendar does that if you're in the year view and you scroll quickly, you'll get the months at the top. Um, and that will allow you to know where you are during this fast movement. Like you can be fast and precise. You don't have to like choose, Oh, I'm slow or, uh, I'm precise. You can have both. You just need to give the user affordances to be able to pull that off, right? Yep, definitely. And then I guess the last thing I have on my list is to use gestures to like great effect. Um, and what that means is don't necessarily invent new gestures, but see what gestures people are already using that you don't need to teach them. Uh, so for instance, uh, there is a tap to undo gesture with two fingers that you can do in almost every drawing app um, that users are going to expect. So if you're in a drawing app, you're oftentimes going to make the wrong stroke, like you're just going to slip. Uh, and the nice thing about digital drawing apps is you can undo, like it's not permanent. You don't have to now work that into your piece of art because you, you messed up, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, it's, it's no longer a happy little tree. It's just going to be like, oh, pretend that never happened. Um, and that is the de facto gesture now because while you're drawing, it's really easy to like do that with your other hand or use that with the same hand that you're uh, currently drawing with. Uh, so that is one that you probably want to, uh, copy in your own app just because people will expect it. Um, another one that I really like, um, is only enabled in table views, but you can do it yourself elsewhere, uh, is a two finger swipe, uh, downwards to select things. Uh, this allows you to select a bunch of things, uh, in table views very effectively. Um, and, uh, it's a huge time saver rather than finding the select button and then tapping, 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 tapping. You can just like have at it and auto scroll to huge amount and say, oh, archive all these emails, please. Um, and it will kind of uh, take care of that. So that's what I hope to do once I hit 100,000 e- unread emails. I'm just going to have at it, search for <laughs> GitHub, move all the GitHub ones, search for this, move all those, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and then... Uh, one last one that I want to call out in the app Linnea by Linnea by the Icon Factory. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but it looks nice written. Um, and they are a drawing app and you can use the pencil to draw, right? Um, however, you can use your finger to erase. It's like a whiteboard. Mm. Like it's the most obvious interaction. You're never even going to think twice about it. Uh, it's just going to work. Um, and that is something that, uh, I think we should strive towards when we have gestures in our apps um, because that really enables things to uh, be as like precise to the user's intention as possible, right? Yeah, I think with all of these, what has kind of happened is someone has come up with some really good kind of um, intuitive natural solution to augment the the normal gestures that you would uh, you know you would be used to just by using a phone, uh, and what's cool is because they are intuitive, 
the user is going to pick up on it, whether it's, you know, just through accidentally two, uh, you know, two finger tapping on their canvas to undo. And they're like, oh, sweet. Uh, what happens if I do three fingers? And then it redoes or, or re, redoes, mm -hmm. uh, performs redoes. a redo. <laughs> uh, but then the, because they are used to that, if you are making a similar app where you're like, you know what, that would be great. I would say, like, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Just use that in that exact same interaction because they're already going to be used to it. There's no need to mm -hmm. be like, oh, I have to make my own unique uh, interaction uh, or gesture to perform the same thing. It's like, no, just, I mean, it's not like every single app has a different command for undoing. It's just command Z. You know what it is. Just use that because that the user is going to be used to it. And ultimately... What you should be striving for is making the usage of your app as seamless and kind of uh, painless as possible to the user. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, just still just yoink that little interaction from someone else's app and use it in yours. Uh, of course, if it applies, I'm not really sure you should, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I don't have a good example, but, you know. If it makes sense, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. If you don't need a pinch gesture, don't put in a pinch gesture. Exactly. Uh, yeah. In, in other words. Um, but yeah, this reminds me, like, on the Mac, imagine an app that used shift arrow keys to not move by 10 pixels. Or mm -hmm. if you were clicking and dragging something and you held down shift, it scrolled diagonally and never horizontally or vertically. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. There are specific ways you can drive people insane um, by knowing, like, what these things are or option to create a copy. Like... Those are just built-in muscle memory because so many apps have just adopted the same facilities yeah. for all of them. And the moment you change that, like, if the left shift works differently than the right shift, like, that's not a good thing. They're the same yeah. shift for a reason because your mouse and hands are going to be in different points in space and that's going to be more convenient uh, here or there. So um, always, always uh, keep in mind what the user might already know. And sometimes it's difficult. Maybe you didn't know about like three finger uh, tap to bring in the undo little popover, and then you can go ahead and undo from there. And you're like, oh, let me reinvent uh, the wheel. I'm going to use four fingers um, because I think that's a good undo gesture uh, when you didn't even know that the three finger one was there. So um, I guess that's kind of like what I was hoping to get out of this episode is to kind of teach people about like all of these things that are kind of built in, but not like for free. Uh, that you yeah. would need to implement yourself. But now that you know about them, you can potentially think about spending that effort um, in a use in a way that could help your users out more. Like, no one's going to thank you for, like, any of these. Well, maybe if you had enough of them, they would thank you specifically. It's like, hey, your app is so well-polished. You got all these details right. Um, but a lot of people are never going to notice because it works perfectly, Right. Uh, kind of like what you said, Spencer, about like you only notice when it does the wrong thing with the keyboard. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so so similar there. With that said, this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Pennant. Calling all sports fans. Want to keep track of the season, but there's so many teams and not enough time? Check out Pennant. Pennant provides sports standings at a glance. Pennant displays league standings as a simple bar chart where the best teams rise to the top throughout the season. Of course, you can dig in deeper with team stats, game results, and more. Version 10 introduced the all-new customizable My Pennant View, where you can build a wide selection of visualizations for any sport, division, or team. 
unlock Pennant Premium to add as many blocks as you'd like, and put any of them on your home screen as a widget. Whether you follow MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, or MLS, Pennant has you covered with more sports and leagues coming soon. Thank you so much to Pennant for sponsoring Code Completion. Download Pennant on the iOS App Store today. So uh, in the past uh, days, uh, we stopped by the Apple Store uh, to uh, get my Mag... It's called MagSafe now again, right? The one for the laptops. Um, so yep. the MagSafe cable, whenever I would plug it in, it would just like blink amber. Uh, and mm. no matter like what I looked up, it said blinking amber means take to Apple Store. So I scheduled an appointment. I waited for said appointment. I took it to the Apple Store. Uh, and while waiting, because we got there too early, uh, I was browsing around. And uh, I happened across uh, this Withings BPM Connect, uh, which is a blood, pros- blood pressure monitor. I was like, oh, it's the Beats Per Minute Connect. No, it's the Blood Pressure Monitor Connect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I made I that connection too. afterwards. Um and it is made by Withings, who makes a lot of like health-related connected devices. Like we already have their scale uh, from like years ago, and we really like it. Uh, so I was like, "Hey, I am stressed lately. Uh, let's see if this is having a negative outcome on my health." Uh, so <laughs> I figured uh, before going to the doctor and them uh, like prescribe me to a whole bunch of medications, telling me that I'm going to die if I don't like change my lifestyle, I'm going to get ahead of that and start recording my blood pressure now. So that way I can see if it's on an upward trend or a downward trend. Um, so inside the box, you have this very nice uh, looking blood pressure monitor. It unravels and this is the device on this end. Oh. Um, what's really nice is this whole thing kind of like holds together via a simple little magnet right at the bottom of the sleeve. So it doesn't like unravel on its own. I was like, oh, is it Velcroing? And there is Velcro here, but it's not actually sticking to the side of the fabric. It's that little magnet uh, that's right uh, at the tip of that. So I found that cool. Um, And then it's very simple to operate. You just kind of like slip it on, set it up once, and then it will connect via Wi-Fi. Um, It has like a six-month battery or whatever, though I just plug it in every night because lithium batteries, they like being plugged in. Um, And then uh, it just has this one button. So you press it to turn it on. It has... Uh, I don't think you'll be able to see it, um, but a nice little segmented display mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, that's like transparent through the plastic, so that's a nice touch. And then you press it again, and it'll start inflating. Um, and then at the end, you can press and hold to change users. Like, I didn't realize, like, how do I change this for my wife to be able to use it? And you just press and hold, and it'll select a different name, uh, and then press to, to save it. Um, and I th- I'd say that's probably the one downside of the one-button approach is just having a single button means that no one is going to be able to like really feel confident once they like record it's like oh it shows lynn what do i do do i press that will select it do i press and hold that will change it but then it's going to go to guest and then it's going to go to dimitri it's like just put arrow buttons like there's space um like more precise uh, control yeah more precise control um so other than that i i would say i'm i'm reasonably happy with it uh it has uh woken me up to uh maybe maybe doing a little better of taking care of my body uh though i'm still not in like any sort of danger zone so that's also a knock on wood uh thankful thankful outcome of that so um yeah overall i would say i'm I'm fairly happy with the purchase it was easy to set up with the withings app it syncs with it syncs with um the health app um and nice. other than the fact that yeah more buttons buttons are good 
even if it's just like an up and down from there like you can select and they can go up and down yeah that'd be super helpful um because then then i wouldn't need a guess as to if a single press or a press and hold is going to do something especially since they changed it in their firmware so when i read it up on their docs i was like i don't know if firmware i have it says press and hold so i'm press pressing and holding or if i press the change and it's like the firmware's use the opposite interaction and i tried updating it and it doesn't change to the newer firmware so i don't know is it mm. just an older model that was at the apple store i don't know uh so it's just like more buttons would have solved all of this um <laughs> so yeah uh though i do like the the segmented display because it does show you like here's an example uh on the thing it does show you like your results right afterwards hmm. it's like enough for like five digits and then your like name will scroll by like a ticker oh cool um so yeah i really like it nice so anyways as always i want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week please be sure to follow us on twitter at code completion to know when new episodes get released and feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into most importantly as a small podcast please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. So once again, I want to give my thanks to uh, Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Um... So as like a super short commented out, I guess we can reveal that we've been live streaming this whole episode and it seems to have not exploded. Um, yes. Is that still true? Let me double check. Uh, let me, yeah. Let me go back to the <laughs> YouTube's thing is not very intuitive. Yeah, it seems to be working because you said is YouTube's okay, thing cool. is not very intuitive. <laughs> and then I just heard YouTube's thing is not very intuitive right after that. And I was like nice. very confused. And then I realized it was streaming that. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, it seems my show notes are also like streamed, but they're like super pixely. So it's like, I don't know if you can see. I was, Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I always just pull up the show notes on my screen too. So I don't even know if you need to do that if we we're you know going to do it next week or whatever. So. Okay, I figured it's useful because I can like select stuff and like make yeah, it obvious. Um, but yeah, I guess I can use it as like a presenter's display. I can show stuff on it. Um, yeah, it's a it's a show and tell that the the podcast listeners will never get to see um, because you don't need to see it because the audio the audio format. Yay! Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, uh, but uh, streaming streaming seemed to work so. Uh, I guess we'll give give next episode a try, which will be our like WWDC preview episode, um, and then we'll immediately find out how wrong we were with our upcoming <laughs> follow up episode of WWDC results, um, which will probably be right afterwards. So yeah, we'll be sure to tweet about that. 